Greetings, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the show by for and about working musicians, of course. And here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. This week is going to be a little different because Paul and I, not only were we not smart enough to book our summer travels at the same time, we were definitely not smart enough to not book them in back-to-back weeks. So I was out last week down in Nashville uh, attending a few things, including the Podcast Movement Conference. Paul is out this week, so we will both be back on Monday the 16th or sometime during that week. For today, though, what I wanted to do is take us back in time about five years, uh, a little over five years, five years and two months, back to one of our uh, earliest episodes and one of our first interviews to episode 68, where we had the pleasure of interviewing Jan Hammer. We've talked about this interview a few times since then, um, and of course mentioned Jan a few times since then as well. But for those of you that weren't listeners back then, I know many of you haven't gone and sought this out in the archives, so we figured we'd bring it to you. So this is simply a redux of episode 68. It's not a new episode. And I think you're going to like it there. I was super nervous going into this interview. I'd known Jan for years. I used to help him uh, with his computers. I'd go to his house and fix his computers for him and everything and got to know him. And But other than peripherally here and there, Jan and I had really never talked music before. And of course, you know, bringing him onto the show, I, I you know, I was, I was nervous. That's how it was. And so I did a lot of research and I found this thing that you'll hear me play for Jan And it it truly was a surprise to him. I don't even think Paul had heard it, but I found something buried on the internet that I figured might remind Jan of his youth and his introduction to American music. And so I took a chance and rolled the dice and played this for him completely unprompted. And, uh, and you'll hear what happened shortly here. So, um, so we'll get to it. Make sure this episode doesn't have a sponsor because it's not, you know, because uh, it's we're sort of doing a weird thing, bringing back an old episode. But I will remind you to check out uh, both of our active sponsors. Of course, Banzoogle.com, where code GigGab gets you 15% off. And then Ultimate Ears Pro is still running their special this week, where code GigGab20 gets you 20% off there. So I don't want you to miss out on that. So I, I wanted to uh to do that for you with that here we go gig gab the working musicians podcast episode number 68 for monday june 6th Thanks, folks, and welcome to Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Out in Las Gatas, California, it's Paul Kent. How are you today, Mr. Paul Kent? I am doing wonderfully. I had a really nice weekend. Had a, we, had a, we had a little art and food festival at the local winery here, and they had some nice music acts, and the foods were great. And nice. So it was a non-playing weekend, but it was a, a very highly enjoyable weekend. How about you? Did you gig? I had, yeah, I had some crazy gigs, and I would actually, yeah, there's, there's more stories from those that I would love to share. But for today, we actually have a guest with us. It is my extreme pleasure to introduce Mr. Jan Hammer to the show. Jan, thanks for coming. Hello there. How are you? Nice I'm, to be here. Yeah, this is good. So this is your, if I understand it correctly, it's your first podcast interview. Is that right? 
I have yeah, po first podcast anything. I've <laughs> I've hadn't had any interactions with podcasts in my life yet. <laughs> well, here you go. So we're pretty relaxed here. Uh, you and I have known each other. Actually, I, I have a. We'll, we'll talk a little bit a bit about how you and I met, but. Uh, um, But yeah, you and I have known each other for a while. I used to help you with your computers when I lived down near where you live. So yeah, right. Yeah. Um, I wanted to start though. Uh, you had a very interesting introduction to music because you know, you, you didn't grow up here in the U S and so being introduced to us music was very different for you. If I could, I would like to play you something that I'm pretty sure would be familiar to you. It's about a 20 second clip. And then I think this will walk us down the right path if I'm okay. Okay. Time for jazz. Willis Conover in Washington, D.C. with the voice of America jazz hour is that ringing any bells jan oh my god are you <laughs> kidding me i'm i'm nine years old again <laughs> this is that was the first time i heard it i was probably like nine and it, obviously that's duke ellington take the a train and willis conover you know the the voice of god <laughs> pretty much for all of us in eastern europe it was just the most amazing blessing that we got and we were you know we were actually at home mostly taping this and then you know that was the only chance for us to hear uh, uh any anything new and current in american jazz it was just fantastic were there any jazz record shops that you could you could actually obtain records and no way nothing <laughs> <laughs> we were completely embargoed and uh, also for a long time the voice of america they used uh, uh what is the word Distur you know this uh, they would destroy the signal by uh, interference uh, really and, yeah and i ultimately they they realized that there was it was stupid to to try and disrupt the music so they only disrupted the news newscasts oh yeah he's right no politics in music that's right or at least yeah. not none obvious that's right yeah. <laughs> but i'm telling you but it's kind of it was like uh, really just sent from heaven to us it was just amazing amazing person and i was uh, lucky enough you know he came to prague a couple of times and i got to meet him and and hang out with him and he was just uh, you know as wonderful as he sounds on the radio <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he had a, a very calming voice. I mean, you can hear the, the, the decades of cigarette smoking in his voice, but that that sort of smoothed him out and gave him a calm sound. Yeah. Yeah. No, he was he was just a wonderful, wonderful presence. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, you did bring me back. I mean, I've, uh, I uh, most of the things that really in early influences on my music, uh, musical upbringing, uh, you know, other than classical studies, which, you know, obviously everybody has to go through was really voice of america for quite a few years and then some people were able to send us records that actually arrived not broken oh. you know <laughs> you wouldn't believe sometimes you get in like a you know a lovely record that you're expecting and it's cracked in half so and I i'm sorry be surprised yeah that, i wouldn't be surprised if it was on on purpose you know but these people just like were you know just ugly ugly <laughs> commies yeah right <laughs> so you were, were you were i mean you started playing piano at a at a, at a very young age right uh, well roughly around four you okay. know you know just picking things out and then from six onwards i started having proper piano lessons okay so but but learning these kinds of tunes you had to learn these by ear right 
Absolutely, yes. Uh, it was. I always saw my father, who was this sort of a natural musician that. He was originally a bass player. He also played vibraphone, but he could also sit at a piano and just like effortlessly play and pick out tunes. And I, I just saw it and I said, this is something I want to do, you know? So really it was mainly, you know, watching my father at the at the piano, which was not even his main instrument. And, uh, you know, just figuring out how that I have to do this somehow for myself too. And that's, that's, uh, that's how you start. You, you know, you work as an apprentice in a sense where, you pick out whatever you can and then make it work for you. Did your father come from a musical family as well? Not exactly. My the, That whole family was mostly doctors. <laughs> and I was, you know, I was supposed to be a doctor too, except I became the black sheep. <laughs> <laughs> thank God for that. Yeah, yeah. That's that. We, yes. Thank goodness. <laughs> uh, you know, you're, and, and I think, based on the conversations we've had, I mean, I, I, I think that sort of describes your career. You just kind of kept doing, you've done so many different things. How much intention was there in, in, in that? I mean, you came to the, by the time you came to the U S then you started playing with Sarah Vaughn and, and it, things sort of grew from there. But what, what was, I've heard you say it, it was all a happy accident, but I don't believe it. it. I mean, you had to have some idea that you wanted to push on this, right? Well, I, it was it was a combination, obviously, of sure. uh, being, uh, where where I was, where the uh, world culture, world music was at, and being exposed to things that excited me. And once I got excited about something, I said, "Well, I'm, I can do that too." So that's how I followed from you know classical studies to jazz piano. And then eventually hearing, you know, Beatles and Hendrix, you say, oh, my God, this is pretty awesome. And uh, so it wasn't just that I was going to be stuck doing one thing. And also same same reason, looking through piano on, onwards to electric piano and then the synthesizer, which basically gave me my own voice, ultimately, which, you know, I could do the most uh, be most noticed and do, you know, do some really valid things with with, with the voice of synthesizer. Yeah, so I'm 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 curious about that because obviously you're very well known for everything that you've done with the synthesizer, especially in terms of creating your own sound. Uh, I mean, there's sounds that people use all over the place today that really started with you and and a couple of others. To be fair, uh, was was that out of um, just artistic expression, or was there some necessity involved in that? Uh, in terms of getting your sound, you know, to be heard through the mix, if you will. Well, obviously, acoustic piano will only get you that far. Right. Once once you start dealing with uh, rock, rock-influenced jazz, jazz rock, or whatever hybrid you want to call, uh, you have to go to electric piano to at least, you know, be able to stand up sonic-wise to guitars and ba- electric basses and all that stuff. Yeah. And also, you know, with... With all that, all the amplification, you know, you just had to do that. But I think in my case, there was an extra thing where I was uh, very much influenced by Eastern European uh, music in a sense where there's, you know, there's the melodies don't go, they're not steady, uh, sort of fixed notes or fixed pitches, as I say, like on a piano. There is all kinds of, you know, vocal things and violin and uh and so on and so on where, where the melodies bend. And, uh, and to me, the expression, I, I, it was necessary for me to find an instrument where I could actually bend notes and bend pitch to, to express the things that I was hearing, you know, and the, the things that I wanted to play. So I think 
it, it was, you know, that, that's how I ended up totally gravitating towards, uh, I even used, speaking of, you know, if you want to use a geek, something really geeky, there was a thing called, uh, uh, Bode, was it Spitch Shifter of some kind? Okay. It was, I think Moog made it. And it was this little box that I was using on, on a vendor roads and it would actually enable me to try and bend the notes of an electric piano just a little bit. But there was, uh, you know, it was just a, you know, it didn't last very long because it wasn't very efficient. Sure. And once, I, once I got my hands on a Minimoog, it was, it was all over. Right. So, yeah, I mean, obviously, the, the, the Minimoogs, you were one of the first. Um, and what was that like working? I mean, you were on the road with, with Mahavishnu using this instrument that basically was like an alpha test of a piece of technology, right? I mean, this was not a proven thing that you bought off the shelf. You had something that no one else had. No, actually what I, I actually bought a uh, commercial release of a Minimoog at Manny's in New York, in New York city. Oh, no kidding. Oh, okay. No, at that point uh, it was not, you know, there were modules since which were, you know, these gigantic things that uh, you had to use patch cords and stuff. And uh, when people, you know, like Keith Emerson were used them, it was mostly, you know, just for show, you know, there was like, you could do, you know, very little with it. But once the Minimoog was put together into a compact uh, box where everything was uh, already pre-patched and all you had to do was play with filters and oscillators, they were already pre-patched in a most uh, efficient way. It was, you know, just a piece of cake to actually go through. Well, it wasn't a piece of cake. <laughs> I did. I remember, you know, buying the thing, Minimoog, taking it home to my apartment in the city. And I spent probably two or three weeks just, you know, sitting there and figuring out, you know, what am I going to do with this? And once I started playing with the pitch wheel, I realized that this was going to work for me. Well, yeah. I mean, you, you opened the door to that pitch wheel thing and, and you've used it well. And some people have used it well and others, not so much. <laughs> but, uh, not so much. Exactly. I, I, I got to a point where I said, I think they should hand out, they should give out licenses to play a mode <laughs> or, or use a pitch bent wheel because it's, <laughs> you know, it's criminal what some people do with it. Fantastic. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I do want to ask a question. You mentioned uh, Keith Emerson and, uh, you know, we've been talking a lot about the fallen stars that have, that have, uh, Oh, right. Uh, yeah, Jesus. Did you ever yeah. have a chance to play with Keith? Oh, many times. I mean, we, we played, uh, we played, speaking of a modest orchestra, we opened for them for EL, Emerson Lake and Palmer in, uh, Denver and San Francisco, like early on in, in our, and uh, it was it was they weren't very happy with us opening because we would sort of we would freak people out and it, they didn't get the reaction that they like to get. Wow. So to put to put it mildly, but you know, over time, you know, all time heals all wounds, and then we met you know at some festivals and all that, and hung out. And you know, I remember we were at the Puerto Rico festival. What was it called? Marisol Festival, which was sort of like another attempt at a Woodstock on, on the island of Puerto Rico. And there was about, I don't know, 200, 300,000 people in a noonday sun we played there. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and uh, so I remember playing ping pong with Keith at the hotel. And then, and to jump completely out of, you know, out of sequence, uh, I remember my last gig that uh, I actually played because I've sort of, you know, faded away from really, I wasn't interested in, you know, keeping a band together and going out on the road. But this was a great occasion, which was called the Moog Fest. In the, it, was, it took place at BB King's in New York City. And there were, you know, 
few of us, you know, played the played the concert, and Keith was one of the people, and uh, Jordan Rudis, and uh, it was it was really a wonderful gig. And there was I played uh, I got this group called Mahavishnu Project. I don't know if you heard of them. They 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 are like a Mahavishnu tribute band. They're really good musicians. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so they they backed me up, so it was really easy to I could just sort of fit right in. I didn't have to spend you know weeks rehearsing a new new band and stuff. But that's about it as far as playing live. But that was the last time I saw Keith. Uh, Any and reflections was, on on uh, Keith's contribution to keyboard music and his, you know his virtuosity? Oh, I, I mean, what can I say? I uh, he was. It was, it, it, we didn't have very much in common other than oh, obviously the, you know, the synthesizer and, uh, but the way he used it was a little bit different than, you know, I, I was more of a, uh, jazz influenced improvising voice. You know, he was more of an, uh, for him, it was more of an orchestrator mm. tool. And, uh, but he was just an amazing musician. I mean, I, I have to, my head goes off and I was worried. I remember he was complaining about his uh, wrist a few years before then, you know, we were in Los Angeles and we were sitting somewhere in a bar and we were saying that he's, he's, he has to have some sort of an operation on a, but he's, it sounded like a carpal tunnel then. Mm. So I don't know how, how much worse it got or how much more involved, but it was kind of scary because I, so far, you know, I haven't, I've been lucky. I mean, you know, as far as any kind of uh, problems with, with uh, uh, arthritis or stuff like that, I never had any of that problem. So I, I was at that gig the uh, mini Moog or the Moog festival that, that oh, right. the yeah. last one you played. Right. Yeah. Elliot, Elliot Sears, your manager who was uh, helpful in coordinating all of this. And uh, actually the one who introduced us years and years and years ago right. um, had gotten me a seat. And I actually sat next to Rick Laird that night. Oh, right. Uh, right. He and his wife were there and it was really kind of interesting hearing, you know, you guys would start a song. And of course these were songs that you had played together, you know, many, many decades before. And yeah. he was like a little kid. He would, he'd, he'd, he'd like nudge me. Dave, I used to count this one in 11 and a half, four. That's how I got <laughs> through this tune. It was, it was really, a, it was a fun night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Um, you mentioned that, uh, you know, you, you played and, and you would freak people out with the Mahavishnu Orchestra, but that was sort of your M.O., right? You would open for anybody you could. At least this is well, the story were, I heard. Yeah. yeah. Those were our initials, too. So, uh, M.O. <laughs> yeah. No, I got it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm kidding. Uh, no, I'm, our very first gig, I remember we played at the uh, uh, Village of Go-Go on Bleecker Street. There's like a club downstairs. Uh, very legendary, uh, you know, jazz and rock club. And I remember the first night after, you know, we rehearsed for the whole summer, we, you know, organized our music and we were starting to make it, make the album. But then at night we would go to this place and play live. And I remember after first tune, people didn't clap. There was like a stunned silence for quite a while. And then they started clapping, but it was the most unusual reaction I've ever heard. You know, usually people just, oh, they're even out of politeness. They just start clapping, but they were like shocked. <laughs> but that worked so well that for fun. you, right? Because you made an impression on, on crowds while you were opening up and then you could go back and tour and, and, and actually draw people to gigs and that worked out. Yeah, it definitely worked out for the better. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was an amazing, amazing experience. So it, it was it was an amazing experience and a short lived experience. I've heard you call Mahavishnu a pressure cooker, and it, and and that's not surprising. Listening to just one song, I mean it, that reaction you got from those people probably sums it all up. 
Wow. You, you know, well, that, was, that was the first time they heard anything like that. It, yeah. was, it was really music that was not done before. So I think that that's what made the difference. Yeah. It, but it, it was also, it seems to me as an outsider, it seems to me like it was a lot of personalities all speaking at once, but in a, in a beautiful way. But I, 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 I always, I mean, I, I heard about the band afterwards. I'm, I'm I wasn't old enough to experience it in its, you yeah. know, in its prime. Uh, but, uh, but it wasn't surprising to me that that band didn't last. Uh, it just seemed like all the ideas got out and then it was time to move on. Is that, is that a, f a fair way to say it? Yeah, it was, it was just really, really intense. And, uh, I, it's, it's hard to describe, uh, but it, it, we were not prepared for how big it became. And, uh, it, we, we, we still, it was all treated more or less as a, jazz group arrangement where you know we sort of contributed much more than we were credited for i'm talking about uh, the four others other than john mclaughlin sure sure and th that that was like the or eventually that became a big source of contention where mm. you know it just uh it just wouldn't work yeah 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 it makes sense uh, yeah uh, not not surprising what what was i don't know if i should ask what was easier or what was more fun uh with Mahavishnu, was it the road or the studio? I would say road was easier because in the studio, we were, we, you don't know what kind of an obstacle you're going to hit next. You know what I mean? There's always like a, in the studio when you're creating new stuff and trying to do the best recording and uh, arrangements and all that, you, there's always some hurdles that you didn't expect. Whereas once you are on the road and the, it's a well, you incredibly well-oiled machine. It's like, a, you know, uh, incredible Ferrari that's like running on 12 cylinders. Mm. And uh, that sort of sustained itself to the point where it was easier to, to handle rather than, let's say, going back into the studio. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 The start of it, the, the start time of a gig was the start time of a gig. You had to go play, even if, even, <laughs> no matter yeah. what. Yeah. Um, I know that you, you've, and you've told me this, and you, I think you've said this to other people too, that you really don't like the, the touring aspect of touring, driving all around and living on, living on a bus and all of that. But your last gig was 11 years ago, uh, almost to the day, I think, if, uh, if memory serves me, but, uh, I would swear, I would swear it was 10 years ago to 2006. I think it was right after we moved to new hampshire because i had to take the train down from here and we moved here in 05 i think but maybe it was 06 maybe it was a no, year later was, maybe yeah maybe it was a year later yeah yeah that's possible yeah, yeah. no it was 06 yeah okay that's right um <laughs> but so you haven't played a gig in 10 years do you miss playing live i mean if if the right circumstance came up uh, is it something you would do Obviously, I would, you know, I would enjoy it, you know, especially if it wasn't like any a sort of an extended thing. Sure. But just by definition, in order to be able to do that, you have to go through the whole process of, again, putting together a group of people, rehearsing. Uh, you know, I, 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 on top of it, my biggest uh, quandary is what would I play? I, I, I mean, I could always play, you know, same things that I used to play, like with, with my group or with Mahavishnu, but I, I also did lots of other things. Like, you know, all the, my whole sort of instrumental uh, EDM or e electronic music pop, yeah. you know, and all those things I like very much too. And uh, people, you know, do not know, there's people who like me for one thing, then there are people who like me for the other. 
And there is about three or four different genres I could cover. <laughs> yeah. And I, I don't know what to do first. And you cannot, you know, I don't see how I could do it. So basically, I just chicken out and don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I would imagine that the largest cross section is going to be people who would like whatever you feel like emoting at the time. I mean, I think they just want to know what where your creative head is at any one time. And if that was the case right now, would it be would it be a cross section of everything? Are you spending more time? With digital music, are you spending? Are you, are you back on a on a on a grand piano and, and just playing piano music? In a which, little what, bit, which but perform? yeah, no, mostly mostly I'm definitely in the studio and uh, a lot, lots of beautiful you know virtual instruments that are happening that are just so amazing uh, you know like expanding the palette of sounds that that we didn't have you know thirty years ago. So yeah. I'm uh, very much into that, and it's it's some sort of a hybrid, obviously, but. Uh, you know, there's there's a large group of people who really like the things that I did for for the TV show for for Miami Vice, and there's all kinds of music that sort of grew out of that that I'm still uh, very much into. So even though you know it's probably more more spicy and more energetic than you know the the score scoring music, you know the back, background scoring music. Yes. So, uh, but still, you know that's probably where if I were to describe. To try to describe where where my head is at or what I'm working on when I you know when I do something it would be more mostly like that that grew out of the you know the the few years that I that I worked on this on the show and that that really became my signature sound and I would say that you know the Miami Vice stuff is is so interesting I mean there, there certainly is iconic music for television that's been written over times but if there has ever been you know just a sound that represented a feeling that introduced a show you know that so accurately represented like i said you know there's there's many iconic songs through the history of television that people might think of but you can feel the sound of that Miami Vice music and see that boat cruising across the ocean and you just yeah. you're just so connected how did that all come about i'd read somewhere that you actually had had that music before you actually got approached to do the the work for that yeah no, i had it uh, i you know i was carrying sketches around of different things and this was something that i was very interested in, which was the you know the sequencer the programmed uh, rhythm on a by that synth the synth sort of bass like sound plays that i got the accompaniment for the for the theme that gives it the whole pulse i was experimenting with these overlapping patterns that you know it was i, I don't know how to describe it but that, that's what that, that was it was just uh using a fairlight cs computer musical instrument and uh, sampling different, you know, my mini Moog and memory Moog, and then using it to compose an overlapping sequence of rhythms. And they, that's how the thing came about. And I, I had a sketch that I worked out on that. And that was something that I played for when I first met Michael Mann. And in, in the, when they were still, you know, basically casting the show wasn't even, you know, they didn't even get to film it. And he wanted to hear something that didn't sound like any music on television. And I said, well, check this out. And I played him, you know, I had a, a cassette at the time, believe it or not. <laughs> this was 1984. <laughs> and and, uh, and he, he liked it very much. And he, even though he wanted me to do the show and I ended up uh, writing three or four other attempts at a theme theme, we ended up in the end going back to the original thing that I played. him, <laughs> And that's how it usually is. You know, the first instinct really was right. Absolutely. Well, it is fantastic music and it, it, it will live forever. You know, in reruns of that show, the people will be reminded just how remarkable 
the music could set the scene for the experience people can have with the show. So I, I, you've done so many great things, but it's interesting that that probably your most commercial pop work uh, is something that I just find you know really gripping and um, and I think will live forever. Well, I mean, it was also you know it went to number one on yeah. on Billboard's one hundred, which is astonishing. Would hear that. Yeah, for for a TV show. For for yeah, for instrumental also, <laughs> an instrumental theme to a TV show. I remember. I don't know. There was a. It's a funny story, but it was really surprising. Uh, I was watching the. You know, we were all watching the charts, and I remember Stevie Wonder was uh, in number one, and we were like, in, I don't know, three or three or fourth, and moving up slowly. And then I get a phone call here at my house, and the voice on the other hand says, "Hi, this is Henry Mancini." And I said, yeah, sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was Henry Mancini, and he called to congratulate me. He just found out we were going to number one this week, <laughs> that week. And he, he, you know, Peter Gunn was the last TV theme that uh, made it to number one, like, you know, 15 or I don't know how many, 20 years prior. Been, yeah, 20, yeah. And so it, he just called me out of the blue, you know. <laughs> So that was wonderful. Well, I would imagine from the unique things that you're doing that your phone rang um, out of the blue often. Is there a story about how the first interaction with Jeff Beck took place? Well, what that wasn't a phone. That was, uh, again, we were on a tour in Europe with the Mahavishnu Orchestra. And we ended up in Zurich in, uh, I guess it was June because it was Jeff's birthday. And uh, we were playing in Zurich in the big concert hall and Jeff played the next day in the same place. And we ended up staying in the same hotel and, and Jeff had a big blowout party for his birthday. So we ended up, that's how I met him first time. And uh, this was like a 73, right. And we ended up, you know, talking about music we like and how, what, how you respond to groove and uh, feel and and it was just amazing but that we realized how much we like same things you know we were just talking the same language and uh, eventually he you know he ended up i remember the the next time i saw him he came he actually showed up at my house which is not exactly you know it's sort of out of the way if you want to you have to go like an, over an hour north of new york city to get here and he showed up here with a, a rough mix of his new record the blow by blow record and he was just, he just wanted to play it for me and talk about it. And then we said, well, after this, we got to do something, you know, together. So then we ended up working on the, on the next album, which was uh, called Wired. Yeah. And so, I mean, this was, this was more like personal, all personal contact. It was not, not much phone <laughs> interaction at all. Got it. Um, what did you think when you heard Blow by Blow uh, for the first time? Oh, it was, it was beautiful. I mean, it was, everything about it was just uh, it was again. Jeff is very rare musician who uh, you would think that guitar can only do something, right? I mean that it's been done. I mean Jimmy, I mean just took it, you know, to the, to Mars and back. And uh, Jeff is changing every few years. He figures out something how to mangle the guitar, how to do something with the with the whammy bar, where he actually plays all melodies with it, uh, and on and on. I mean it's just an amazing metamorphosis every three or four years. And I'm just so impressed, you know, how, how he manages to reinvent guitar. <laughs> but he, use, he uses the whammy bar like you use the pitch wheel. And, and I think the same rules should apply that you need a license for either one of them. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, abs- absolutely. Yes. Abs- 
<laughs> Definitely, yeah. Now, you, you did a lot with, with Jeff, but um, a lot of people might not know that in addition to playing keys, you're actually a, a great drummer. And uh, and at least on on there and back, you played drums on on the opening track for, for that. If I if I if memory serves right, and on Wired too. Oh, you played <laughs> drums on Wired too. Okay, well, see, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> no, I've been I've been a drummer probably as long, maybe you know, one year off. But I put together some homemade drums at at, at our home in Prague, and I kept banging, you know, for years and years playing along with uh, mainly with, you know, jazz records, playing along with Elvin Jones and <laughs> things like that. And I was totally, I would, I would have to say that at that time I found drums to be more fun than piano because piano was like, to me, that was work. Hmm. And drums were like really incredible hobby, but I just, you know, happened to develop and got really good at it after a while, but yeah. it was not, it was never work. It was something, oh, let's do this. This is fun. And yeah. piano, piano was a little bit of a drudgery, especially the classical end of it. So now, now, you, we, now you make me even more upset because as a drummer, I remember I was playing with some guys and we were playing Star Cycle and I couldn't figure out how you played the groove. And I happened to be at your house working on something of the computer for your studio. And I oh, remember yes. asking you, how did you play that? And you're like, oh, I, I don't remember. And you just kind of waved your hands in the air. And it was I actually understood what you were telling me, but hearing you say that, oh, it's just a, a, a hobby that makes me, it makes me need to go back to the woodshed as a drummer. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, yeah, that was, that was a nice groove. I mean, I, I, I still, I sort of remember, I don't know if, if I would, would have dismissed it because I'm sort of very proud of it because it was kind of a complex, but it still, you know, really propelled the tune forward. So. And you, you played it open-handed, I think is what you showed me, right? That you didn't cross your arms to play that groove on the hi-hat. I think you were playing it open-handed, or at least that's, that's, that's how you showed me that day. And it, it, it helped me get it certainly a lot easier so yeah i think so yeah that's yeah. true yeah. yeah yeah and now you played drums on an entire santana album too uh, again no i don't think it was there was i think there was about half of the album oh, okay the, i thought okay all right i thought it was the whole thing yeah. there was the one with mclaughlin and santana yeah yeah there were there were billy played on one tune and uh, i played with mike shreve and i played on a couple of tunes it, I, and that's you know awesome. it was it was it was just a big crowd of people playing. There was, it was wonderful. It was just an experience. <laughs> That's awesome. Jan, I wanted to ask a question. You, you know, when you talk about your, your keyboard playing as work and uh, I want to ask you a question about virtuosity. I want to understand what your work ethic was and how much of, how much of your skills are, are from the divine and how much of your skills are from just a lot of time that you put in. And do you have any thoughts about, you know, you've played with such amazing musicians around the world are great musicians born or are great musicians earned? That is a $64 million question, obviously. Uh, I, I, I would say, I would guess that it's probably half and half. You have to provide, uh, you know, the, the, the underpinnings of technique. But all the technique in the world, again, it's not going to get you across if you don't, you know, have the juju happening. Mm. So... I think it's probably half and half for the most uh, successful people. There are some people who, you know, probably have uh, even more of the divine intervention and they don't even know how they got there, but good for them. But, you know, there was obviously work involved uh, in my case, but I would call, I would probably call it about a half. And uh, at what point in your life were you working the hardest at keyboards? I mean, when you made this decision not to be a doctor and you knew, was that a, a turning point for you in terms of your 
of your practice regimens or, or when you were putting your first bands together and you were going to be playing with these other cats and you were going to be pushed all the time? When were you working the hardest? As far as, uh, oh yeah, I would say right before I came to the United States. And then once I got here, when I was at Berkeley school, I remember actually using uh, exercise rooms, which is something that I've never done before. And I would just go and lock myself in and actually woodshed. <laughs> and uh, because that was the time where I was very much into modern, modern jazz. And, uh, and, and eventually that evolved, you know, evolved into Mahavishnu as well. So that's probably when I was the most actively uh, pursuing the actual piano technique. Interesting. Any essence, you know, what, quantify it. Was it was it two hours a day, six hours a day? Oh, never, never six. No, it was probably maximum like two two hours. At, at, that would be like the most. I know people always say like, oh, this guy sits there. It's got eight hours a day, and that's why. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, I think classical music requires that. Uh, I was more of a from the world where I, you know, Im- improvising, where I could actually do anything I wanted, and that was that was the secret because I didn't have to follow a, a set. <laughs> Set of you know sheet papers. <laughs> Very cool. How about um, a little bit more about these guitarists that you play with? You've played with some of the most amazing guitarists in the world. We talked about Jeff. Um, we haven't talked about Al Demiola or Neil Sean. Um, what turns you on about playing with guitarists? Is it tone? Is it is it is it groove? What do you look for when you're when you're working with guitarists? Well, I like music to be really hot, and the thing you cannot have a hot band without a guitar. It's, it's I agree. Yeah. you know what I mean? You can, you can have a hot band without keyboard. <laughs> and, uh, I, I, I was always, you know, learning from what makes guitar so hot and exciting. And it was, you know, it's a, it's a combination of things. A lot of it has to do with, with the actual rude sound where you, when you would just go and it's like in your face. Mm. So, uh, that's why I sort of pursued that over the years. And, uh, it was not exactly to emulate guitar per se, but it was just using that real exciting uh, spirit that's in there. And then, you know, if you listen to where I play, obviously those notes could not be played on a guitar because notes on the guitar follow a different uh, regimen. <laughs> and then, it, you know what I'm saying? If, if you play it from a keyboard, it's a, it, you know, I mean, and guitar players know when, you know, when they hear me, they know that it's not a guitar. <laughs> sure. Yes, absolutely. But, yeah, but the sound can, sometimes... <laughs> Yes. I was going to say, you make the keyboard sound like a guitar sometimes. Definitely. Sound, yes. But the actual music Mm. coming out with that sound is more more keyboardy than people realize. And that's what makes it stand out. Yeah. So you've played with with a lot of guitar players. Is there anybody that you you didn't get to play with that you would have loved to play with? Of course, Jimmy. (laughs) Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I met him. I met him a couple of times. We were recording uh, with uh, in Electric Lady in his studio in uh, in the village, and he would drop by and listen to us. And he was uh, very much, you know, into it. It was we were just doing, you know, experimental sort of early, early uh, jam, jazz rock kind of thing. And he really liked it. And he said, like, you know, we should definitely, you know, hook up and do this and get together. And uh, next thing I know, he's, you know. Dead in London. Yeah. I think minds are exploding all over the world right now at the thought of Jimi Hendrix sitting in with Jan Hammer. That would just, that would have been, <laughs> yeah, I, it would have been ultimate, you know, for, for came, aficionados. 
we came close. <laughs> oh, man. But at least, I mean, I'm glad that I got to meet him because, you know, the guy yeah. is probably a very essential, essential. Other than Miles Davis, uh, Jimi Hendrix is probably the most, you know, influential musician that, that, were, that got my head worked over. So you've named two of my three, and the third would be Jocko. Did you ever work or, or work work or meet Jocko? Work with or meet Jocko? Yeah, I actually believe it or not, uh, my friend, uh, you know, great pianist Paul Blay. I don't know if you know him. Yeah, avant garde. Uh, he, he was he had a gig in Cafe Wa in in village. Yep, and he, his drummer couldn't make it. So guess what? Ah. I I, <laughs> I said I'll play. <laughs> So I went down there, set up my drums, and he, he, I had no idea who was gonna who else was gonna play. And this was like again, probably 1973 and uh, 72, maybe. And uh, he said, oh, "There's this new bass player, you know." Oh, <laughs> oh man! And it was Chaco. And then also he says, "There's this guy, uh, there's a great guitar player. It's Pat Metheny." <laughs> and, so, and there is no recording of this, which pisses me off. But yeah. it, it was it was an amazing night. You know, we just played, you know, Paul's tunes and and uh, but it was, you know, Jacko and Pat Metheny. So that's that's how I met Jacko. <laughs> oh, man. Wow. That's awesome. <laughs> man. Very yeah. cool. Gosh, that's being in the right place at the right time. That's good. Well, yeah. Village village was the place in the yeah. universe that was the center. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Very, very cool. So what's um what's next for you? Are you working on anything now? What's what's going on? Well, I'm actually work, putting together a collection of music. But you can you cannot call it CD or an album anymore. But it'll be you know I still think that it sort of belongs together uh, by uh, you know its birthright because <laughs> it's coming out of me. So uh, I it'll be you know some sort of a collection, and I you know I've been working on it for quite a while, and. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I have sketches that I didn't finish that I actually, I, I don't know, you mentioned that I actually kept, uh, they were all in studio, studio vision, opcode studio vision files. Yeah. And, and, and to go dig, dig through it, I actually have a old G4, the gray plastic Mac and running nine to <laughs> no kidding. So you've still got that stuff alive. I that's got it great. Sitting, yeah. It's, it's sitting in a corner, but I can fire it up and it just, you know, yeah. that's how I, it, all those things, because those files are specific to studio vision. You can, if you make them into MIDI files, it's, it, you know, again, it's a, lots of work and uh, I don't, I, I don't have, you know, appetite for that kind of work. So sure. actually I go through it, organize it. And then at the very end, I port it over to pro tools via MIDI files. Okay, so here's the thing. I, I'm always pleased as punch when I look at my phone and it's you calling, but I do not want to get the call from you someday that that <laughs> machine doesn't work and you don't have a backup. So please, please tell me that you've got a backup of all that data. Well, the data is backed up good. on 17, 17 different drives. Yeah. Great. Okay. That's all I wanted to know. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. I and can also, help you recover you know, it. It just needs to be yeah. somewhere. Yeah, exactly. And I also have multiple versions of Studio Visions, you know, installed. Yeah things so okay good okay. <laughs> now speaking of of computers and I, I i i've never asked you about this but uh when i was at your manager elliot sears's office one time i don't know 15 years ago he points to a mac 2 on the floor and he says oh that's the computer that holds all the tracks that uh jan recorded for miami vice I, is that the case i mean did you did you do all that on a mac 2 and is it still sitting on elliot's floor <laughs> Well, I don't know if he if he's uh, I, I, I'm, he may be a little bit confused about it. Because okay, there was when I did Miami Vice, there was no Mac Two yet. That, okay, that that makes sense. Yeah, 
You know what I mean? It was it yeah. was Mac Plus. And I actually, for some parts of it, I actually used the PC, you know, God forgive me. Happens uh, to the best of us, Jan. And uh, because there was there was no real honest to goodness uh, sequencer yet that I knew of. Uh, you know, I mean, eventually I, I worked my way towards it. But and also the sequencing, a lot of it was done on an internal sequencer in a memory mode which, uh, you know, was just an amazing instrument. And then, fi- fi- of course, Fairlight, you know, page, right. page uh, what was it, page R in Fairlight system is a sequencer, very, very rudimentary one, but it, uh, that's how I created the theme. <laughs> awesome. So, hey, it worked. <laughs> yeah, no, that, well, that's the thing is, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, the, no, the, the limitation. Mac, Mac came in just a little bit later. Right, right. That makes sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Paul, you got any more questions for Jan? I, before we- I, I have a million more questions yeah. for Jan. I wish this could go on forever. Just one last thing, because I'm a big Neil Sean fan. Uh, any um, reflections on your playing with Neil? Oh, my God. We just, I just remastered uh, the two albums that we did in, uh, in 83, 82, 83. Uh, that for, uh, we, we got them for, you know, for online, for download and streaming. And, and now we're actually going to put special edition, you know, on a CD even. So, you know, it's still there for people, you know, people of a certain age who love that music. They probably still like CDs. So, and uh, I'm just so proud of it. It was just such a wonderful, wonderful project. And we, we, we added a couple of bonus tracks. We just re- recorded a uh, thing. And I also played on his last couple of last two albums that he just did his solo album. So I'm, you know, I'm still in touch with him and he is, you know, just another, I, I, I don't know if, if I know a harder guitar player than Neil, I mean, and listening to him and it's, and it's not just his uh, soloing. I was just blown away by all his rhythm playing on the, on the record that we did. The rhythm guitar, it's like a masterclass. This is how you do it. You know, I mean, I just love the guy. Fantastic. This has been incredible, Jan. Thank you so much for your time today. Yeah, okay, it was my pleasure. Yeah, man, it's been great. Folks, if uh, if you have anything to, to send us, you can find us on Facebook, Gig Gab Podcast. You can email us feedback at Gig Gab Podcast. And uh, yeah, Jan, thank you so much for doing this. This it, It's been great to chat. You and I, usually yeah. usually when we chat, it's about computers. So uh, so it was yeah, nice to- was Much yeah. more fun. <laughs> yeah, much more fun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll see you next week, folks. All, All right. right.